Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity recorded in the pod at White City Place. There are quite a few things that London excels at, but very close to the top of that list are music venues. From grungy basements to grand music halls. Where many aspects of the music industry are facing major uncertainties, audiences are still buying tickets and crowding bars to experience the performers they love. Today in the pod, two people who are helping to nudge London's music scene forward in big ways and small. I'm Ben Yoon I'm the Senior Contemporary Music Programmer at South Bank Centre. I'm Paul Noble and I'm the Artistic Director of Spiritland in King's Cross. The South Bank Centre is the UK's largest arts centre, comprising several music venues, galleries, libraries and other art spaces. And Bengi has been shaping its contemporary music offering since taking her post in 2016. She's heavily involved in one of the South Bank Centre's signature events, the Meltdown Festival, curated in 2017 by MIA and this year by Robert Smith of The Cure. Paul is the creative director at Spiritland, a cafe, bar, and radio studio at King's Cross that has become a beacon for music lovers for its high-spec sound systems and a program of DJs and events that can only come from a true aficionado, ranging from somewhat obscure DJs to talk series with public figures such as actor Bill Nye. We met Paul and Bengi in the pod just as Bengi was getting in gear for this year's Meltdown Festival. I do genuinely want to know, where where did it all start for you? How did you get here? I was born in Ankara, Turkey. No, um, <laughs> I don't know. I always wanted to work in the music business since I've just known myself, basically. I cannot play an instrument, but I wanted to be involved in music somehow. So I just, I had a friend who was working for the for a um, radio station. So I went and talked to him and said, I'll just do whatever there is available. Even cleaning, I don't care. I just want to be in that building. And that's how I started like more than 20 years ago. And then it was, um, yeah, it was curating video clips for a music TV and then record label Universal and then doing an open air music festival, the first one going bankrupt that kind of stuff, <laughs> and running a venue and doing the, being the artistic director for that venue before I got here. So it's like a long journey. Yeah. Yeah. How Which did you ven- get here? Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. Similarly, I mean, mine was always in radio and music. So I was a sound engineer at the BBC. Then I was a producer, and then a music consultant and a DJ, and just kind of all you know anything involving music or being behind a mixing desk, so never really up front or playing in bands or, you know, it was always behind the scenes. Um, About sound. Yeah, sound and music and that kind of equipment I always loved and, collect, you know, collecting music. Um, and then I joined Monocle Radio. Uh, well, I started Monocle Radio six <laughs> years ago uh, with a sort of team of people. It was like a sort of the Monocle take on the world service with music and culture and um, yeah and then spent lots of time going to Japan and getting inspired by the bar scene there and just seeing how you know there's a different way of doing music which is nothing really to do with club culture it's more of a listening thing and then I was like what what you know 
why is there nowhere in London to go and hear really good music, which isn't a club, you know, a space to kind of where you can really dig deeply into all these different genres and stuff going back 70 years. And uh, yeah, and then kind of met my partners who were from a hospitality background. And we were like, right, Spiritland, let's do it. Lucky for us. <laughs> well, yeah. 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 So that was four years ago. And then it was two years as a pop up and then open for nearly two years in King's Cross. Yeah, great. I love that space. Thanks, Bengi. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, if you can do a dance version of it as well, like I, with dance floor in the middle and then... I mean, honestly, I would absolutely love to because, you know, I I can't... Like, there's nowhere really in London that excites me exactly. to go out dancing. And For me as well. I really want to have a, have a place like that. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we had Plastic People. It was incredible. That's long gone. In Amsterdam, they got the De School, which is totally inspirational, kind of mix of, you know, sort of banging club in the basement, ambient music upstairs, food, a gym. Uh, but, you know, they've got this amazing building to do it in. And then, uh, yeah, then you go to Japan and they got kind of Precious Hall and all these really refined places. But, yeah, I, th I don't know. Where is that place in London? You will do it, I think, in a couple of years, maybe. The problem Why? is, yeah, I'm... Uh, It, I'd love to and then you speak to the club promoters and it's not you know the the economics of doing things in London is you yeah, can't I'd charge fortune on the door it's not really people don't buy drinks in these clubs really they don't interesting no. even in Istanbul we just made it work with a small venue I don't know how it's so I think, hard here I think there's a bunch of reasons one is the kind of the rise of DJ culture and the hype around DJ fees. That, you know, mm. there's all these names who, if you put so-and-so on your lineup, that will sell a load of tickets. And the, they know that and the agent knows that. So you have to charge a certain amount on the door. Um, and what it seems, you know, looking at places like, uh, you know, Amsterdam and Madrid and Melbourne, it's like, it's all about local talent. And you build a scene, you get DJs, they all support mm. each other, they all play at each other's nights. And it's not about bringing in these, you know, the people who are the hottest names on Resident Advisor or wherever it is. I don't know, maybe it's because London is so saturated with lots of stuff happening as well, maybe. Yeah. It's not just that one thing that you're doing. Like on a Friday night, there are countless stuff happening and might be harder to sell tickets than. Yeah. I don't know. But I think that there should be a way to do it. Yeah. Let's find a venue. <laughs> Great one. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I'm interested to so when you're you know, when you've got your you you'll program them a year ahead, when you're looking at twenty nineteen, are you programming from a do you start out from a commercial standpoint or is it come is it an instinctive like this is the kind of music genres artists we should be pushing or are you thinking who's going to fill these rooms and sell some tickets it's a combination of many things um i start with the room actually so how big is the capacity is the seated room standing room um that's how i start with and then of course the dates are 
a very important part of just like availabilities and everything. But um, because I'm, I'm, what am I programming for? Is the other question. If I'm programming for South Bank Center like I'm doing now, um, because it's an arts and culture institution, and because art is for everybody and it needs to be for everybody, I am trying to program in a way that we balance the audience plus the musical genres as much as possible. Mm. So if I'm doing some folk there, I would rather do some hip hop here or some rock here and some electronic there. So it's just a continuous look at the big picture for me. I suppose also the level, you know, the quality of your rooms and the the sort of depth of your production team and just the the level of um you know, excellence that goes on at the South Bank means you're gonna get artists who will create a show just for you and they'll do it once. Yeah, I mean I wish that happens, right. but not not exactly. Oh, I feel Doesn't like happen that way th- all the time. Okay. Um because like each artist have their own touring program they have uk promoters um so because of all those other stuff sometimes it doesn't happen that way but i would prefer to have more of that more of that those special projects Mm. that are crafted for royal festival hall for instance or Mm. queen elizabeth hall i suppose that's what meltdown's about bringing these collaborate you know unique collaborations together that, that actually gives quite a creative space for that but not not every year it happens for instance this year uh, although manic street pictures is going to come up with a special show or like everybody is working there uh, doing their best to come up with something that is crafted for royal, royal festival hall we don't have many like special collaborations this year we didn't mm. have many of them last year as well each year is different, of course. Each year is because I'm not the curator of those years. Sure. They, they depend on what the um, curator wants. So, yeah, but this, is, this year is going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Having said that. Is it? When does it start? Is it start? Is it 15th this week? of June until the 24th of June. We sold 30,000 tickets. Very nice. We can't have this one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, That's good. I'm excited for okay. it. But it, basically, when it's meltdown, I the programming completely changes in a way because it needs to be about that artist, whatever that artist wants, and and sometimes they're very hands-on. That's why they do most of the programming, and I just like sit aside and just work with them and assist mm. them in doing it. And sometimes I can just come up with a lot of ideas, and they are uh, accepted by the curator. So it changes every year also you've got so many different spaces in the complex you can yeah. just put all these exactly. different things here from the there. Riverside Terrace to the QEH foyer yeah. yeah to the QEH garden rooftop garden it's just so many little yeah I can't wait yeah I mean it's kind of the opposite of us in that we've got one room which is just over 2,000 square feet and in that room there's uh, a bar, a restaurant, a radio studio, a shop, and this <laughs> colossal sound system, which takes up about a fifth of the room. So it's, um, you know, having said that, we do we do a lot of different stuff in there, and sometimes it's talks and DJs, and we've done live performances. We've done uh, 
yeah, like lots of listening events and album launches. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like, I want to push the walls out and in every direction and start doing, <laughs> start, doing, just start doing bigger stuff. But I like the fact that it's actually that small and contained in a way, because then I feel, I know you want to just make it bigger and I understand, I would <laughs> I would love a bigger version of it as well. But then again, it just feels very special and very exclusive. And you just are there to experience that specific thing. Nobody is checking their phones or their yeah. social media accounts or anything. They're just 100% there. And I think that makes a unique experience to me. I mean, I loved it when yeah. that Japanese lady oh, was dropping yeah. water in the <laughs> Yeah, Tomoko Sauvage. That was incredible. So that was... Um, so we we basically never do live music because the mechanics of you know a gig it's flight cases it's sound checks it's roadies it's just all kind of too messy and complicated to do in this tiny space and we have to shut for half the day to get the get the sound right but that was really that was, you came on a great night that was a yeah. radio 3 collaboration these three artists um yeah, I suppose that's the unique thing is it's it's such a small room. We we really go, for, you know, we're quite punchy with our programming. So you could see people who would play at the Royal Festival Hall. Yeah. May I ask how much of the programming is, I mean, is about you personally? Mm. Uh, I mean, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're lucky. Yeah, it's not... Uh, there's... I suppose there's, you know, it does reflect my personal interests and it's not a focus group thing and we're not saying what do we think people want to hear and what would work. Mm. Um, they, there's, a, there's all sorts of music which I would, you know, we've tried in there and it actually doesn't work so well. So, for example, jazz, as in actual jazz, hard bop, you know, sort of sax-led Too big music. for the room? It's just like having... The, the sound system is so revealing and it's so loud it's like having a gigantic saxophone in your ear while you're trying to have a conversation and have a drink it's just too um, it's fine to sit down and listen to but as a as a background music and the reality of it's like people are eating and drinking and having conversations and they're mm. on dates or they're catching up or you know it's not a shrine we're not all sitting there in silence most nights so yeah you you know you play Charlie Parker in there and it's just, oh, it's overwhelming. <laughs> and the same actually goes for, um, you know, rock kind of, we, I thought we'd be doing a lot of classic rock kind of, I don't know, Birds and ELO and Elton. And when it's that kind of top to bottom sound, you know, the top, the mid, the like, it's all working. Um, it's just overwhelming and you can't really do anything else at the same time. Mm. So actually, you know, we play quite a lot of dub in there because it sounds fantastic loud. You can really, you can feel, you know, the earth, the air moving, but you can still have a conversation because it's kind of all at the bottom at the top sonically and in the middle there's room to chat and, you know, house and some all sorts of electronic music. It's, uh, yeah, the... So I suppose, yeah, to get back to your question, it is it is personal and, you know, if someone else was programming it, there might be a lot more indie, there might be a lot more techno, you know, who knows. But it's not, I mean, we 
it's not a club there's no dance floor so that you know listening to techno and house and hip-hop is almost you know we we can we do it but kind of sparingly it's mm. not at the heart of what we do there's no point in playing a huge banging disco set when we're asking people to also sit down and you know listen not dance um we do occasionally we'll move the tables out have a party we did a italo disco night a few weeks ago did it work fun it did work it was great we showed a a screening of this documentary called italo disco legacy at the everyman cinema and then everyone walked back to ours and just kicked straight into this two-hour knees up it was great so we're gonna do a few more of those different genres um, First to warm up, then the event. Great idea, I think. Yeah, that's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, we the. It's one of those. It's a, you know, the starting point for the whole company was just personal passions and exploration. It wasn't like, where's the gap in the market and what's going to work and what do we think people want to hear? So, you know, we can go very poppy and we'll have a night of just George Michael or Diana Ross or Earth, Wind and Fire uh, or we'll have a night of prefab sprout and craft work and you know the most obscure Hawaiian prog whatever it is you can find so um, it's broad You're listening to Thought Starters recorded at the pod at White City Place In conversation today are Bengi Unsal Senior Contemporary Music Programmer at Southbank Centre and Paul Noble, creative director at Spiritland. I suppose we've, you know, we're a mix between um, there's high tech bits to what we do in some of the equipment, and then there's some very low tech bits. And at the heart of it, it's actually about coming to Spiritland and hearing the music on the system. And the, uh, you know, we don't. It's not. We don't tell people to turn off their phones or not use their computers but generally it's like this is a bit of a sanctuary you know the 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 system is so kind of imposing it does just invite you to listen to music and drink and hang out it's not uh you know we're not kind of saying tag yourself and check yourself in and it's (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah it's kind of a bit of an oasis from that world yeah i mean i went to a festival over the weekend mm. and I just had to watch a concert behind an iPad mm. um, it was very crowded so <laughs> I couldn't move anywhere right. else which I'm not complaining don't get me wrong I'm, but I sometimes feel it's good to have it's refreshing to have those other spaces that you can go just for the music yeah. or the concerts that you can go just for the music like some of the people sometimes including me I'm gonna say yeah i'm not i'm not sure if this is 100 percent true but um it has become this social media tool as if people go to the concerts or events just to just to um, check in just to check in oh just to just put an instagram story or something i have to i have to just put this on instagram right now kind of an attitude i'm seeing with my friends and yeah all over so it's it's the music scene is and the music industry is obviously going to go get digitalized mm. there's nothing we can do about it but i think it's good to have those oases of 
places that you feel um, special it's also once in a while. Yeah, and the whole, you know, music has become, it's so easy to get a hold of. The equipment's so miniature. It's just kind of so accessible that actually the thing at the very heart of it, which is why we love it, which is the performances, the emotion, what the artist is saying, how it makes you feel, it's just all been lost in and, and kind of turned into like, it's just a backdrop to my life and just mm. dribbling away out the speakers wherever you go. Um, did you see that? It was a video from Coachella. Someone just walked through and it was just everyone on their phones Instagramming themselves. It was just, it was during sunset. So it was obviously, like, that's your moment. It's the golden <laughs> hour. Let's go Instagram crazy. It's just so bleak. It's like, no, I haven't seen oh, it. But, <laughs> but there are some concerts now, actually. I've been seeing more and more of them that they take your phone, put it in a yeah. pouch of some sort, and then they give it to you. So you have it, but you cannot use it. Right. There are more more and more of those. Last night I went to see the, the uh, Brixton Academy, and he started off by saying, let's all be together, let's do it like we used to do, you know. I like phones, you like phones, but there's nothing worse than looking out on a sea of people just staring at their screens at you on the screen. He's like, let's have a moment. And this is, you know, he's... <laughs> I don't know, I'm torn. <laughs> yeah. I'm torn in between, to be honest. What you I really to... don't know. Some As a promoter, you want them to be sharing as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And as someone with kids, suddenly like, if I look at my phone, I know there's going to be something going on. I just wonder if if um, how it will affect the live music industry. Like last year, actually, I checked the numbers and it grew by like 13, 14 percent, yeah. the live music industry in the UK. But with this digital revolution, will people want to just sit at home and just have a VR and experience it there, or will they just will they still want to go out? I don't know. That's that's the question I have. I mean, in mind. I think people, I think people will always, always want to go out. Or actually, you know, the 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 cinema, the the screened version where there's one gig going on, but it's shown in cinemas. That's a sort oh, of. I think no. I think we're definitely. I think cinemas with live music experience is like the. Um, car phone or something it's not okay. it's not gonna stick <laughs> <laughs> that's why okay. i think it's going to be like this really 3d vr experience where you have your friends with you as well but you're actually in your own home yeah in 20 years or 10 years or something and i'm gonna have to have a virtual reality concert hall yeah you could do that i i mean i'm just thinking you know if i when i think of going to a festival most of the time I'm not really bothered about who's playing there it's the idea of being in a field with a drink under the open air hearing some really loud music not you know unless really? it's someone ter yeah I don't re I don't really start from the artists hmm. I'd, you know or there's festivals where you just trust they'll book good artists but it's actually just getting some freedom and being out in the wild that's more appealing to me <laughs> Maybe I've spent too long in a radio studio. Yeah, you're not working in the city. <laughs> Come on, Paul. It's basically, yeah. to me, it's the complete opposite. It's the perform the performances. Yeah, it's definitely the performances. Yeah. It's just like seeing as much as I can with one one ticket. Yeah. I just am there for the value. And unfortunately, the user experience, I think, are 
decaying, if I might say, in festivals. I think they should just put more to it. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's because of my age. I just want more as a user, like, but more comfortable, like not not so many tickets sold. Yeah. Being able to see the band I really went there to see. Yeah. Otherwise, I can just go to the park. I mean, there's been a few. Organizing a festival is so much more complicated than people think. The production elements. Man, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> and I went bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's so it's so hard. So what so was your hard. festival? What was the It was like the first open air camping festival in Turkey. Right. It was it was so hard. Like the here it's I'm sure it's so much easier with licenses and everything. There even just like putting that festival on yeah. was so hard. And then you get everything from all the international artists, the amount of fees that you pay for them to come play in Istanbul, it was really, really hard. This was in the 2000s. Um, what, how, how do you kind of, you know, as someone who was born outside London, how do you look at London as sort of the health of the music scene? And, the, you know, do you find it as an, an inspirational place to find talent? Or are you looking outside? Definitely is, I think. I mean, it's... It's one of the most important cultural capitals of the world. So everything just either is born here or is, I think, definitely passes through London. Mm. So I don't look to any other city for that kind of inspiration. But I do have a problem with London nightlife. I honestly think that it should become a 24-hour city, and it is not at all. Yeah. 11 p.m., everywhere is empty. And then you try to do late nights, and then it's really hard to get people out of their homes after 11. I kind of understand it. It's a very tiring city, London, I think. Yeah. Everybody works a lot, and, yeah, it is tiring. But the way it is not a 24-hour city just amazes me. Do you think that comes from the infrastructure? And the transport and the no, I don't think so. I mean, the mayor thing. and the knights are are doing their best to just like make it that. I don't yeah. think it's about that. I think it's about. I don't know. I don't think it's about that. I don't know why. Is it convenient? I should ask the venues. Maybe is it yeah. convenient to just like close the venue? Maybe it's because of the costs. Yeah, you know, you've of got, keeping it open. Yeah, and you've got staff. Yes, and stuff. it's three in the morning, and how are they going to get home? I mean, you know. Yeah, in London, you have to think about those things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just like to um, developed. Yeah. Let's say. And also, you know, the really boring reality of it is the weather is kind of just nah. miserable. <laughs> like half the year. I mean, that gives you, you a know, chance to be indoors from the way yeah, I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> if it's raining, go you, to a concert. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, New York has similarly intense pace of work, really grim weather. Yeah. But they, it goes yeah. on forever. Yeah. It goes on exactly. All night. It's like exactly. four, four o'clock at a bar will be full or there'll be people in it. Yeah. I suppose it's, you know, lots of it comes back to really... Uh, functional sort of property money related stuff in that um, you know to to run a venue it needs to be you know to, to run an independent venue which is with a, a sort of bold and experimental 
music policy, you need to be, you know, you're not going to be anywhere near central London. And then, you know, how developed can your programming be and how developed can your, you know, staff be and things, you know, you've got the most incredible sound engineers working on your shows. That creates a level of excellence. And, you know, the stewards and all everyone around the show. Um, I don't even know what I'm saying now. No, I, I, I got what you were saying. You got it? Actually. Yeah, definitely. Um, Especially because of the... You mean the rent and everything in the centre of yeah, London I makes it just harder for people to go to the yeah, know, Tottenham to exactly. listen to And then I just think of those places music. which I've been to where it's like the experience is pretty crap because they can't afford yeah. the sound engineers and everyone. Um, yeah, I suppose the you know what's happening is as London, as the centre of London gets more developed, the creativities, the you know the creative industries get pushed out, and things start popping up in Tottenham, Peckham, everywhere else. Seven Sisters. Seven Sisters. Uh, Golders Green, all these kind and of then, cool and places. And they moved to Seven Sisters, <laughs> yeah. the developers, and then suddenly. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a coffee chain on the corner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of the life cycle of a city. I wonder. I mean, I'm wondering if. It, the West End will ever kind of be so wonder if anyone will o- ever open like a large music venue again in the West End in the middle of town where that used to be mm-hmm. where it all happened and now it's yeah. kind of that's really where the tourists go no Londoner would really see a, a gig in central London anymore I don't think there's a hundred club there is a hundred club but it's tiny yeah yeah I don't know, like we're in the centre of the city, I, I would like to think. Mm. If you uh, think yeah. Waterloo is... <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. of you as just your own little island on yeah. the Thames. 16, 17 acres of it. 16 yeah. acres, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's amazing, the South Bank centre. I just think there's it's like all these different... Sorry, I just touched the mic all these different art you know it's this huge site it's on the Thames there's all these different art forms going on every day and the Haywood and the BFI and I, there's just there's also National Theatre and yeah. there you go there's Tate Modern I think it's an amazing place yeah. I agree I agree yeah we, we, I just love to be a part of it it was my favourite part of London when mm. I came here as a tourist as well I loved walking from the Tate Modern to South Bank Centre, go into the Royal Festival Hall, spend some time there and just cross the bridge and go to the photographer's gallery or yeah. something. It was my favourite, favourite route. But now that I work in it, I don't yeah. have the chance to do that. Anymore. That's your office. How <laughs> yeah. to fall out of love with someone. <laughs> no, I still love it. Come yeah. on. <laughs> um, yeah, you just sort of feel like we should really celebrate it. You know, in yeah. London, it's this yeah. incredible resource and it you know, the I don't know, the depth of the programming, there's highbrow, lowbrow, family friendly, late night raves, it's you know, it goes very deep what you do there. Thanks. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that was Bengi Unsal, senior contemporary music programmer at South Bank Centre, and Paul Noble, creative director at Spiritland. This has been Thought Starters, recorded the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a Diana co-project for White City Place, produced by David Michon and recorded and edited by Sean Crook. 
To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at White City Place. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time.